Sure, now it's old hat. The moon, yeah, been there, done that. But 50 years ago, the very thought, let alone the sight and the sound of two human beings setting foot onto another celestial rock, well, that took almost more imagination and more guts and more science than we could get our heads around. From five decades away, it looks like it was all neatly foreordained. But with the politics, the money, the personalities, the science and engineering, the moon landing was so far from being a sure thing as to make it all seem improbably quixotic. The story of how it astonishingly came together is the one Douglas Brinkley tells in his new book, American Moonshot, John F. Kennedy and the Great Space Race. Moonshot, you know, like long shot. It's a little shadowy, but uh, he said he expected that in the shadow of the lunar module. Armstrong is on the moon. Neil Armstrong, 38-year-old American, standing on the surface of the moon on this July 20th, 1969. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. One of the biggest takeaways from this book, as we look back at 50 years since the moon landing, is that it was not inevitable. It was not destined to be. There were many things that could have made this not happen. Well, I got to interview Neil Armstrong um, and do his official oral history for NASA. Armstrong said they had about a 50-50 chance of having a successful mission. Um, You know, President Nixon um, back 50 years ago, was a little worried about having his fingerprints on Apollo 11 because if something went wrong, if we had dead astronauts in space, uh, he didn't want to get blamed for it. But as soon as our astronauts were brought back alive, President Nixon uh, embraced Apollo 11 as the heart and soul of his first year in office. All right, go ahead, Mr. President. This is Houston out. Hello, Neil and Buzz. I'm talking to you by telephone from the Oval Room at the White House. And this certainly has to be the most historic telephone call ever made from the White House. So when in victory, you know, everybody kind of joined in the course for Apollo 11, but the risk of it was just unbelievably high. Now, the origins of this landing really had to do with some of the technology of World War II the idea of rocketry, of offensive weapons that uh, were born in Germany in a way and brought to this country by Werner von Braun, who was one of the spoils of war, one of the rocket scientists of Nazi Germany. That's exactly right. What the United States was woefully behind Germany in was missile technology, and the United States government was desperate to get a hold of Werner von Braun and his technology, and one of the great heists in world history uh, in something called Operation Paperclip. The U.S. Army brought into America after World War II 137 of the top German rocket engineers, on top among them Werner von Braun, and they became Cold War rocketeers on the American side, and it's von Braun a former SS officer for Adolf Hitler, who creates the um, the Saturn V rocket 
that brought Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin to the moon. How did it happen that the idea of missiles and missile technology flipped from offensive military weapons to instruments of exploration of space? There was always an uh, an inbred tension between the two. Uh, But President Eisenhower in the 1950s, he was very clear that he wanted to to keep space away from being uh, militarized. And so when we geared up with the Gemini and Apollo programs of the 1960, it was all about peace. It was in an era when the Vietnam War was going on. So when it came to space exploration, we were going to land on the moon, not not in the terms of conquest, but of science and lunar exploration. In Dwight Eisenhower, you had the supreme allied commander in Europe and president of the United States. In John F. Kennedy, you had a young ensign out in the Pacific who became president of the United States. How did their differing points of view about the state of the world after the war change the nature of what was then an incipient space program? President Eisenhower, having been the Supreme Allied Commander, um, he had to, during World War II, sign an awful lot of death certificates. And he uh, was focused on Europe um, during the war, and he knew what Adolf Hitler had done. He knew firsthand about the Holocaust and the concentration camps. And so to build Hitler's rockets that von Braun did, they used Jewish of slave camp labor. And so Eisenhower never cottoned to the idea of greenlighting Warner Von Braun's big projects. John F. Kennedy never stigmatized Von Braun in any way because he thought Von Braun was just a German working for Germany as Kennedy was an American working for America. That's what you did during war. So when John F. Kennedy's president and he's looking to do something large in space exploration. Von Braun is saying, I can get us to the moon. He was a very fine engineer, and Kennedy liked the cut of his jib and his can-do attitude. And so part of the story of my book is how um, Kennedy relies on Von Braun and the belief that he could eventually build a moon rocket to inspire Kennedy to um, become the president of the space age. And today, when we see the Space Needle in Seattle from the World's Fair, that was from 1962. And teams like in Houston, like the Astros of Baseball or the NBA Rockets, and America became space-crazed. There's this period of time from the late 50s to the early 70s where space exploration was a, a big part of American cultural, political, and economic history. Now, JFK himself said, I believe, he was, quote, not that into space. It was what space represented, both as a Cold War competition and as putting down America's marker as a technologically advanced nation. For the eyes of the world now look into space, to the moon and to the planets beyond. And we have vowed that we shall not see it governed by a hostile flag of conquest, but by a banner of freedom and peace. First and foremost, John F. Kennedy wanted to beat the Soviet Union in the Cold War. Kennedy wanted to prove that we were building a new age of technocrats that were better than the Soviets. Uh, But the Soviet Union had scored all these first. They 
had to have the first intercontinental ballistic missile, the first satellite, the first creature in space with Laika, a dog, the first um, human in space with Yuri Gagarin, the cosmonaut. So Kennedy was like, how do we go first? How do we leapfrog the Soviets? And Apollo was the answer. We will go to the moon and we will galvanize and arouse democracy. And where Kennedy deserves credit is in his ability as president to sell the idea. No president has ever embraced science exploration, both the oceans and space, with the verve and insight that Kennedy did. One of the triumphs of the space program, which may not have been obvious at the time, was that it was taken away from the custody of the military and became a civilian undertaking. President Eisenhower deserves a lot of credit for that. Eisenhower was a president of peace, but he had warned in his farewell address to the nation about an industrial military complex. And Kennedy felt the opposite. Kennedy was very proud of the industrial military complex. He thought it's a great thing that Fortune 500 companies get contracts and subcontracts with the U.S. government to pioneer in space exploration because it would be good for national security, it would be good for the American spirit and morale. Kennedy believed space gave America international prestige, that all the world was watching this contest between the Soviets and the U.S., and if we could win that, it would convince countries in the world that democratic capitalism was superior to um, totalitarianism of the communist stripe. And that the message that I believe was left on the moon, we came in peace for all mankind, was something that the nature of the program itself could back up. And also, everybody focuses on Neil Armstrong's first word on the moon, and rightfully so. You know, that's one small step for a man, one giant leap for mankind. Lesser known is that when Armstrong was leaving the moon, climbing up the ladder for the eagle to leave, he said to Aldrin, did you leave the packet? In that packet are medals that um, commemorate Soviet cosmonauts who died in their space program, meaning we weren't trying to gloat that we won the moon. It, we were there on the moon honoring even their, our adversaries because we were pulling together in the realm of space. And it wasn't only the military that was unhappy about one aspect of the space program. The Congress had questions about how much money was being spent. The phrase moondoggle was thrown around. That was always the big question on going to the moon, which is uh, how much money it cost. Uh, they used to say at NASA, no bucks, no buck Rogers. Kennedy made the executive decision that $25 billion to go to the moon, that's about $180 billion in today's terms, that it was worth the price because America would show the world the greatness of our country. But also, Kennedy had a sophisticated understanding of the spin-off technology of that kind of research and development project that the private sector would have. And indeed, out of going to the moon in Apollo, we got things like today's uh, GPS or anti-icing devices for aircraft, the suits that firemen use all across the country, medical inventions like the CAT scan and MRI, you know, kidney dialysis machines and heart defibrillators. So there just became a lot of benefits of the space program 
people question whether it was worth the money now. The real story is most Americans in a bipartisan effort said, let's do it, because Kennedy had convinced them that it was worth it. He gave us a concrete deadline by the end of the decade. We have never specified long-range goals on an urgent time schedule or managed our resources and our time so as to ensure their fulfillment. I therefore ask the Congress, above and beyond the increases I have earlier requested for space activities, to provide the funds which are needed to meet the following national goals. First, I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the earth. Lyndon Johnson, as senator and vice president and president, was really a steward and a cheerleader for NASA and the space program. Lyndon's fingerprints are everywhere when you study the moonshot. It was one thing that Kennedy and Johnson, who didn't personally like each other, they both bought into the idea that beating the Soviets was essential for America's foreign policy. Neither ever really deviated from that. Budget cuts from the Nixon administration on really strangled or killed off much of that manned space program, did they not? They did. What Kennedy did was right, was understand that America has a football game mentality and that you have to present winners and losers. And so the idea of beating the Soviets made everybody want to get behind going to the moon. The problem was once we went to the moon, the box office fell off. People said, oh, we did done that. And there were other Apollo missions, and many of those missions were watched and admired, but nothing like the Apollo 11 moment. And so Nixon, by a second term, had pretty much started defunding the final Apollo missions, and it, we started moving into the idea of an international space station, which doesn't have the drama of, of um, blast off and walking on the moon. And then we had the space shuttle, which never quite took hold on the public imagination. And there have been high moments since Apollo 11. I mean, Sally Ride, the first American woman in space in 1983. And we have Mars rovers, courtesy of Jet Propulsion Laboratory. So we're moving into Mars. But we haven't had that moment like the moonshot when everybody is pulling forward to try to accomplish something heroic in space travel. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. And this 50th anniversary is sort of a launch pad of its own to try to start winning over hearts and minds in America that, that we must remain number one in space exploration. What do you think of that privatizing of space, almost turning it into a commercial trip that you can buy your way there and back as a civilian, and of Donald Trump's talk about going to Mars? Well, you know, I think with President Trump, the problem is NASA, during the Kennedy effect, got 4.4% of our federal budget in the mid-1960s. Today, it's a third of 1%. So if you want to do big things in space, you have to prioritize it and be a kind of cheerleader for it. President Trump thus far has shown mixed messages. I think if you can somehow tea leaf Trump, I think he's saying we want to beat China in space. We need to get 
back into the game in a bigger way. Right now, um, Jeff Bezos' company, Blue Origin, is focused on what they call the Blue Moon, of going back to the moon soon and having a colony. And uh, Musk is really very much about going right to Mars. So there's a lot of entrepreneurialism going on on the 50th anniversary in the private sector. But in the end, they always have to collaborate with NASA to get anything done. You grew up in the age of space, and as as did I, and now you've spent three years working on this book. What, for you, is the most moving moment in this whole grand story? Because I grew up in Ohio, um, we were kind of drummed into my boyhood uh, education. The heroism of people like Neil Armstrong and John Glenn and they up under scrutiny. Some of these astronauts are just extraordinary human beings. To put yourself in a tin can and be shot up into the space with 50-50 chances of survival, there really is a kind of raw courage that holds true. But the other thing I really realized is, as an American historian, I probably in my career have paid shorter shrift to the world of engineering, We don't go to the moon because of astronauts or even Kennedy. Uh, We have this engineer infrastructure, and it was 400,000 people that brought us to the moon. There's a lot of public happiness that America used to be able to do incredible things and working together. And now we're in such a stark partisan divide in this country that I think the 50th anniversary of Apollo 11 reminds us We do better in the U.S. when we collaborate, when we negotiate, instead of dividing into enemy camps. We've been all looking at the moon forever. It controls our tides and our calendar. Poets and philosophers talk about it. Starting in 1969, we visited there. We left Earth and went to another celestial body, and it may, in the end, have been the defining moment of an entire generation, the the moonshot generation. Doug Brinkley, thank you so much. Thank you, Pat. Pat Morrison Asks is produced for the Los Angeles Times by Pat Morrison. It's edited and engineered by Mike Heflin and Joe Fish. The audio moments are from CBS News and from NASA. Subscribe to Pat Morrison Asks and never miss a podcast.